Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we'll be looking at the new Damien Chazelle film, First Man. We'll also be taking a look at the star-studded Drew Goddard film, Bad Times at the El Royale. We're going to talk about some trailers that have recently come out, have a very, very brief discussion about this week in horror, about as brief as it can get, uh, probably not even worth a tease. But before we get to all of that, we're going to talk about the news in our first story this week. James Gunn is moving to D.C. and is in talks to write the next Suicide Squad film. Andy, what do you know about this? Um, I, I think this is a really great move uh, after uh, James Gunn did such a good job with um, Guardians of the Galaxy one and two, and it's you know it's unfortunate that he won't do uh, the third one. Although I think his script is still going to be used for the third film, he's proven he can work with an ensemble cast, especially one w- that uh, had a lot of music. Because so, so, Service Squad is so Suicide <laughs> Squad, <laughs> Suicide Got Squad, it. Got it. <laughs> Suicide Squad was essentially supposed to be the DC version of Guardians. It you know it had a very kind of a musical thing going on that like Guardians did, except it didn't really pull off well it was the ensemble cast it was their answer to guardians and it didn't work in that way um so i think it's a really smart move of of him to kind of take over it a couple things people have immediately noted one this feels a lot like joss whedon right going to uh the the zack snyder film justice league it's not necessarily a betrayal but at the same time like gun was kind of forced out of marvel was for by disney so it does make sense to immediately go to their rival warner brothers it seems like a very calculated reaction i guess yeah and create some fun comic book film drama for fans everywhere uh the other thing that's interesting about this gun is reportedly taking a totally new approach to the property so this isn't exactly a sequel to david ayer's suicide squad we don't know what that means odds are may contain some elements may have all of them maybe a direct sequel may not have any where do you think that's going to go um well the biggest problem that I feel with DC properties is they haven't stuck to the source material. They've, you know, thought thought too much about what does the audience want to see and what how will people react, and less about like let's stick to the source material and the comics and tell those stories. And so I think if if they go in that direction, which is what I would do, where I give in the job, um, I, I think that it has a good shot of just being a much better film. One thing's for sure, it will definitely star his main man. I was hoping I'd come up with the name before I got to right here. He's in Guardians. He's the big guy. Dave Batista. Right. Him. Yeah. Because they're friends. Our second story, uh, the Deadpool before Christmas. We have details on the new Deadpool Christmas flick coming out this year from 20th Century Fox. The Deadpool before Christmas will include 15 minutes of new footage and a new character, a PG-13 take on it. Andy, do you know anything about this? Yeah, so a couple of weeks ago, we we reported that a new quote-unquote Deadpool film was being released uh, on December 21st. To the shock of everyone, this was clearly of some sort of publicity stunt, and now we have a little bit more information. And like we said, it's going to be a recut version of Deadpool 2 that will be PG-13. So, you know, not as much violence, I guess. And I guess feature a whole new character. But 15 minutes of new footage, which is exciting, I guess. Things that weren't good enough for the actual film, but are good enough for the PG-13 spin. The new character is possibly Fred Savage, reprising his role from The Princess Bride, as Ryan Reynolds teased on Twitter with an image of Deadpool reading to Mr. Savage. Uh, The 15 minutes will likely be those scenes, but we don't know for sure. We don't know at all. Like, we have no idea. That's just the theory. Um, Any other thoughts on this? 
I mean, I, I can't remember if the DVD's been released or the Blu-ray's been released. I feel like it has. Prob- yeah, because that's yeah. what I would think. Maybe it's some gimmick to help sell that, but it's already come out. Yeah, it's, right. I mean, it's an interesting kind of tactic. Like I said, it feels real, frankly, personally. Hear me out. Underhanded by Fox. <laughs> I, it does not seem like a real smart move. Some 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 jackass over there was just like, hey, I got it. We'll, we'll put the same movie in theaters, but a PG thirteen cut, just to kind of mess with all of the other theater, all of the other movies that are actually trying to cut in. Like, I don't know. It just seems petty. I'm not. I get it. There's no honor among thieves. I'm not going to claim any studio is better than any other. But like, really, Fox, you got to stick your foot in in the holiday season. Like, if you don't have anything to release, don't put out anything. Don't don't be these guys. But I guess they're gonna, and it's fine. Um, to whatever success that leads to. The next story we have. Out of Sony, uh, Morbius, Spider-Man villain spinoff with Jared Leto to begin filming early 2019. Morbius, the living vampire, who is a Spider-Man villain, will be starring in his own film with Jared Leto as the titular character. Andy, do you know anything about Morbius? I don't, actually. I don't either. It's <laughs> a comic book guy. I, I really don't. And then imagine if you're listening, you don't either. And that's kind of the headline, really, That uh, not to bury the lead. Um, Sony, after the success of Venom, is looking to capitalize on the Spider-Man villain spinoff thing and make another one of these. And they're going to do it with this character named Morbius, the living vampire, starring Jared Leto. Nobody knows who this is. So what no. does that mean? Well, I think it means a number of things. First off... It means we get a fresh character and mm-hmm. kind of a fresh interpretation. Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit before the show that Jared Leto had very high expectations of the Joker and also in some ways was very constrained by that character. Yeah. Because everyone knows who it is. Everyone's expecting one thing or another. Whereas you bring on a fresh villain like Morbius, he can do whatever he wants. I don't even know the backstory. So, it, it you know, it, it's a much more uh, clean slate for him to act on. Yeah, and, and supposedly that was something Tom Hardy had in, in, in Venom, having having their own kind of character that they like, like being able to kind of shape them in their own way. I think there's something there. And in the rise of, of Marvel hero films, yeah, it makes sense for there to be kind of Marvel villain films. I know Z- Sony's excited to be attached to anything, even remotely successful. Good <laughs> yes. for them. Uh, but but it, it does make me wonder. that There's, there's a bit in here that kind of gives me pause. Uh, the producers of the film... Uh, Avi Avi Arad and Matt Tolmak, who also produced Venom, are also going to produce the next kind of Venom-ish film, which I think is supposed to be Carnage. And what's interesting about this, I've got a line in here. This scares me. When you hear Carnage, uh, the only thing you you can think of is an R rating. But if you know his story, if you really know the comic, if you really know it, Andy, (laughs) there's no R here. He's a tortured soul. It's not about what he does because we never have to show the knife going from here to there. What you have to show is what's the motivation. I'm like, oh, God, no, please make. Of course, they won't make it R rated. Like, of course, I get it. Like, you're not going to do a Carnage film, make it R rated, but it'd be nice. And and I just feel bad that the producers of the film are already like writing around their own excuses. It's just a bummer. But. Whatever it's worth, like, Morbius is interesting because nobody knows who he is. And they're banking that uh, the success of Venom will ride into an unknown character. And, like, I don't know. I don't know if that'll work. Frankly, I think Venom, part of the reason it worked is because you kind of had familiarity with the character a little bit. You know, you knew a little going in. You're like, oh, I get it. He's kind of this big thing. He's black and he's angry. Um, This guy, though, I know nothing. And I'm like, man, Venom had some hokey writing. Venom wasn't the best writing so like i don't know if that'll translate to a character i don't already know but maybe it will uh, what do you think i well i think what's interesting is that it's kind of setting up a little bit of 
a Venomverse or like a Sony villains universe. Yeah. It's a little bit separate from uh, Sony Marvel uh, villains verse. That's a little bit separate. And I mean, I think there's a lot of possibilities there. It, it gives us a chance to explore new characters and new stories without having to feel like you have to get, have a superhero next to it. Mm hmm. Well, the last story we have, uh, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper's A Star Is Born soundtrack debuts at number one on the Billboard 200 album chart. I'm not a music man, Andy, you are a maker of music. What do you think of this? Uh, This is pretty impressive. So it's uh, the number... The first time in about three years that a soundtrack has been number one. Uh, the last one was F- Fifty Shades of Grey, uh, funny enough. Oh, God, uh, from, really? Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> from 2015. Um, so it, it's really impressive. And after I saw the movie, I was really impressed with the music, and I, I knew that it was going to be a hit. And this is also Lady Gaga's fifth uh, number one debut album uh-huh. in, I think, it, within the 2010s. So. All right. Can I... <laughs> Can I knock this down? Can I can I Go play ahead. devil's advocate here? Okay. This is a lot of things going for it. One, it's finding similar success in the way that like you're you're gonna I think you're gonna tell me I'm wrong here, but hear me out. In the way that like Childish Gambino's This is America had, like the video is so much of its success. Like having video oh, to go with it matters. Yeah. And this being tied to a movie is tremendous. So that's important. Also, this is Gaga's first big performance as 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 a star and i think right. that's really valuable lest uh, we forget machete t- t- y- yes <laughs> kills or uh, mach- machete kills yeah <laughs> lest we forget god forbid uh this is cooper's first role directing it's got a, it, in like it's the got mus- star power the, and the music is really good on top of all of that yes the music is good i don't want i don't want to act like that's not a big deal it is but yeah I, I think that's the reason this is finding so much more success than like just an album that would drop on Spotify right I mean it's it has so much going for it and it's tremendous uh, this article goes on to talk about how this is Gaga's what fifth number one album which is wild this decade I mean it's it's really neat and and uh, how, how much just guilty pleasure how much have you heard the soundtrack since you saw the movie? Oh, a lot. Like I, I listened to it um, from beginning to end a, a couple times, and then there's a couple of songs I like that um, stick out. Yeah, it's it's got some it's got some really good hits. But like you yeah. said, it's got star power. It's got a film behind it. It's got good music videos, essentially. But it is tremendous. Uh, you know, uh, for those out there who don't think it's a musical, I disagree. But for uh, essentially, hear me out, a, a spiritual <laughs> spiritual musical. Uh, to find this success and have its album do so well is huge. Uh, you don't get that that much in 2018. You weren't getting it in 2015 when Fifty Shades did it. So it, <laughs> it's a big deal, and it's worth mentioning on the show. And with that, that just about wraps our news. We should move on to our first film of the show. That is Damien Chazelle's First Man. Only after we master these tasks do we consider trying to land on the moon. So first man, I, I have the distinct pleasure of doing the plot for this one. Thank you, Andy, for throwing me this. Super easy. Uh, it is the story of astronaut Neil Armstrong in the 60s as he prepares to take his first uh, trip to the moon as the first man on the moon. It, it, it follows him, his wife, his kids, just kind of the experience of being a pioneer in a way nobody had before. Uh, a very inspiring story. Yeah. Yes, uh, it is directed by Damien Chazelle, the director of Whiplash and La La Land. This is his first picture that he has directed, not written, which is interesting. He's got a handful of his regular ca- like cast of crew uh, with him. He's got 
uh, 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 Ryan Ren- oh my god Ryan Reynolds Ryan Gosling is in this <laughs> film as, as the main character uh, he's also got I don't remember the name of everybody else but I'll figure it out throughout this review the guy his composer I think is in there his editor I think yeah. is the same editor so it's kind of the same crew that's moved around from these movies but but trying a, a new something in an old story right definitely interesting Andy what did you think of First Man uh, so I, I really liked it. And before I get into it, uh, I wanted to say I'm, I'm a huge fan of space and space okay. space exploration. Sure. It's a good place um, to start. I've, uh, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson has a great book called uh, Space Chronicles, uh, which is about, uh, you know, the first flight and man, take going to the moon and the race against the Soviets. And, uh, you know, a lot of this is kind of uh, talked about in there. Um, but what I really liked is you kind of got rid of the romanticization of space travel and you saw like the really kind of horrifying really scary kind of endeavor that it was lots of not lots but people died trying to get to the moon uh there was lots of tragedy lots of loss when you see the astronauts in these shuttles and this is what i loved about this movie is it's it's like you're in this rickety tin bucket and you're being shot out into space so it it was almost like um documentary style uh nearly where it's it really showed the kind of visceral side of what this took to do yeah documentary almost not to a fault for me but based on some reviews i saw maybe to a fault and i want to talk about those uh this film was super charming in the way that a lot of a lot of it looked like old home video footage yeah a lot of handheld not a whole lot of lockdown tripod stuff in this movie almost all of it's handheld uh, and that's important. Like a lot of it had film grain over it. A lot of it was shot. I, I forget the aspect ratio, but an odd aspect ratio. A lot of it looks like it was taken right out of the time. And that's interesting. Like it's a cool stylistic approach. He, he did La La Land. And while he could have, when he did La La Land, there were a lot of like tributes to older Hollywood. But this one like felt like we want to capture exactly how it looked and felt. All, all of the set design was incredible. The costuming looked great. Everything in this movie looks real sharp, which yeah. is important. We should talk about the uh, casting choices and, yes. and, and the cast. Uh, we've got a lot of good people in here. We've got Ryan Gosling, not Reynolds, Gosling, as the titular Neil Armstrong. Claire Foy as his wife, Janet Jason Clark as a fellow astronaut, along with Corey Stoll uh, as an astronaut as well. Kyle Chandler is one of the NASA heads, I guess, a guy named Deke Slayton. And those are just to name a few. I saw a lot of familiar faces in here, but not necessarily people I knew. Yeah. Like uh, the, the mustachioed cop from Orange is the New Black yeah. is in this. Yeah. Pablo Schreiber. Right, Pablo Schreiber. I didn't know him, but I was like, oh, wait, I've, I've seen him before. I know him from somewhere. And I felt like a lot of the a lot of the astronauts in this who are kind of your main your main group that you pay attention to uh, were, were interesting like characters, but not all of them were immediately recognizable but because of that because they all had experience a lot of really solid performances in this movie yeah yeah absolutely i was really pleased uh i i particularly enjoyed claire foy who i felt like almost didn't get enough time i they could have done a whole movie just about her I've, I, they probably have astronaut wives at some point yeah that sounds like something <laughs> they've done she I, I felt like uh she has a really incredible eyes and, a, and an expression so much of her intensity uh, because she's one, one of the characters i i feel that 
Um, everyone else is like keeping it inside and not talking about like the dangers or the fears or any of that. And she's like the one person who's like bringing this up and putting it in people's faces and m- forcing them to talk about it. Like and, really and, intense. Yeah. And, and not even all the time. Like she plays the dutiful housewife most of the time in this movie and, and, and the kids are running around all over the house and she's trying to listen to the radio to see what's going on with Neil and like, it's really neat. And, and you get Ryan Gosling as this character, uh, Neil Armstrong, who's, fairly conflicted a man who who wants to reach for the stars and and really try to accomplish something beyond himself and mankind and everything he knows but also has a family at home and like you know has to has to find peace somewhere in there and it's 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 uncertain whether or not he ever really finds it right but you get a really good performance for that yeah um let's talk about his uh performance a little bit so he plays neil armstrong is like an incredibly focused um but introverted person like he he doesn't want to talk he just does right which is interesting because when you think of neil armstrong i mean he's the first guy i walked on the moon he's got to be a bold guy but he's not really played that way no it's kind of the opposite he's he's determined and he's going to do what he's going to do but uh he's by no means a bold man he's not you know he's not loud and boisterous he's a very quiet guy kind of reserved like doesn't make a lot of jokes or anything just kind of his own person yeah there's a great scene uh they're doing a press conference and uh cory stoll is playing buzz aldrin who's kind of brash and and they ask him you know dick yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) they say what do you what do you what do you want to take and he was like oh you know i think maybe i'll take some of my wife's jewelry and you know be the first you know husband wife something you know he's really who who wouldn't want to give his wife bragging rights is what he says right exactly so he's really kind of playing up the the press and then when they ask uh neil he's he says um i'd like to take more fuel right Uh, i'd like to take more fuel uh funny story this does give a little bit of a uh, insight into what neil armstrong takes with him to the moon but I, i found out later uh, not only has Neil Armstrong never said what he took with him, uh, NASA's never released that. So nobody right. knows what he actually, but like every astronaut takes stuff with him. Uh, nobody knows what he took up. This was just kind of a theory. Uh, so it's interesting. Um, there's, gosh, I don't know. Help me out here. Dig me out. What, it's, what, well, it's, it's really a, a character study and it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things it's about space, but it's not about space. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's about a man um, who's focused and introverted and who keeps his pain inside while trying to accomplish, uh, you know, this great thing. Cause it, there's nothing but tragedy along the way. Yeah. You know, the, in the first 15 minutes or so, you find out that his, uh, young daughter died of cancer. He loses a number of friends along the way due to different accidents. Uh, one of the things, um, if you're sp- familiar with the saga <laughs> of space flight, Apollo one, there was a fire, all the astronauts died. And so when, and not everyone may know that, but uh, I do. And so right. whenever they first begin talking about, you know, who's going to be on Apollo one, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> this is going to, this is going to be a real tragic things. Yeah. Which it, is somebody who didn't know what was going to happen worked great. Yeah. It pulled off exactly the effect it would have. Now, if you're listening to this show, sorry, uh, it's history though. So what are you going to do? But yeah. uh, <laughs> spoiler, he lands on the moon. Yeah. Spoiler, <laughs> he lands on the moon and, and we should talk about that knowing what's going to happen at the end of this movie, how does it hinder your experience watching it? Because we all know what's going to happen. Like, obviously, in the case of something like Apollo 1 or a couple other unique happenstances in this movie that we won't reveal, uh, we we know the ending. Right. We know they come back okay, <laughs> they land on the moon, and, like, in a weird way, that does affect how it plays out. And right. I, think, I, think, I think Chazelle knew that when he was making it. Like, obviously, people know. Right. 
Um, well, it, it's one of those things where it, you know, it's about the journey, not the destination. Yeah. Um, but and what I think what they do a good job of portraying in the film is that they didn't know if they were coming back. There, there's a great uh, contingency speech uh, prepared for the president to read. Mm-hmm. Um, that if they didn't, and if you've read that, it's it's very uh, poetic. It's a powerful so, speech. So they, I mean, they honestly didn't know. They weren't a hundred. They probably weren't even like eighty percent sure. Right. It's it's tough. Uh, it's not every day you get to watch a movie where you already know the ending, which is what happens in this movie. Like we mm-hmm. all know, sitting down to watch it, we all know how it ends. Like you know, you watch a horror movie, you don't know who's going to make it, but this one we did. Um, it's patient, and that's yes. what I liked about it. When you actually get to the penultimate bit, right? He's stepping onto the moon. It's patient, and it takes its time. And like I appreciated that because they, they could have. They could have just rushed it. They could have been like, oh, yeah, and he goes, and Here he's we done. Are. Great, yeah, yeah it, it happened. No. We all know this bit. No, it, no, not at all. Like, it really does, like, draw it out, and, like, you're right. The, the journey is is just as important as the Yeah, it bathes in the majesty of space. Mm-hmm. Big time. <laughs> very very <laughs> well you. spoken, yeah. Uh, I did want to talk about the, the, the tin bucket you were talking about because I, I didn't want to make – I want to make sure we cover that. Man, NASA is, is not a good look in this movie. Not, oh, not no. to say, oh, you know, it's a bad organization or anything. No, man. Like in the 60s, they were working out of like gymnasiums. Like they were working out of garages. They didn't. You, yeah. I think of NASA because I grew up in Houston and we went and visited and stuff. Is like clean white lines and all the floors are polished and looks great. Not in this movie, man. It sucked. Like all the walls are covered in grime and like they got to they gotta hop on this like test flight thing that spins every astronaut around. They've never even tried. And it's put together by like rods and pipes. And they're like, yeah, to climb in here and just spin you around. Like they had no idea yeah. what they were doing. And like that really, that's really an important part of the story because it helps it feel not only more real, but like so much more accomplished because you realize how far they came, you know? Right. And it's, you know, NASA was, you know, funded pretty well but it was it was only funded funded out of a military interest you know we wanted to dominate space sure. before the soviets did right. and if and if you look at the the history of the space race the soviets really be, beat america to every milestone right and the and the moon landing is is cool but it's it, it's not really all that important it's a, it's kind of a oh no yeah <laughs> it's kind of we a, don't go there anymore exactly. what did it, yeah what did it matter it's it's a you know finish line we we created for ourselves and we won our own race um yeah. So that's cool, and we pat ourselves on the back. But really, all the first man in space, first satellite, all a lot of the first were really uh, the Soviets. But it, you know, it's still a great human a- accomplishment for sure. We sure got one over on those Ruskies. Didn't that's we? right. Yeah, uh, I, I did want to talk about uh, kind of the way space travel evolves over the course of the film because you start off at the beginning and they're just doing test flights and stuff, and and Armstrong gets kind of sucked into this NASA program. It's like, hey, we got this wacky idea. When it starts, the Soviets are already beating us. That's the beginning of the movie. And and that's when they say, okay, here's what we're going to go for. We want to put a man on the moon. That's what we're going to do. And it's got, a, it's got the speech from JFK. We do things not because they're easy, but because they're hard. And you've got a lot of, towards the end of the movie, protesters. A lot of, like, footage. Yeah. Of, I mean, I, I don't think it was real footage, but, of course, we created footage of protesters who were holding signs. And they're like, why are we going to the moon? Like, wh- what do we stand to gain? People are dying. Astronauts have died. We're wasting all of this money. Like, we have homeless people. What are we doing going to the moon? Like, what does that stand to? And, like, that's really intriguing in retrospect to mm-hmm. look back and on. And that, that's still a question now. That or a criticism now. Um, and what I'll say to that, uh, and this is from Neil deGrasse Tyson's book, Ooh. Uh, you know, it's all, uh, you know, we, on the one hand, you can say, you can romanticize and say, oh, well, the uh, 
the human drive to go beyond and explore and you know we could do all that but and that's great uh but he says you know the real reason to go is economic because when you explore the frontier you create new technologies new solutions to problems you never knew you had yeah things like cell phones things like microwaves right thing there's so much technology and i think that i read the statistic that for every dollar invested in nasa it returns eight dollars worth of economic growth yeah so that's why you want to kind of go into the unknown and do what's never been done before sure create a space force right (laughs) that's where it's at right we won't comment on this show about that but uh yeah i I, man i i really did like this movie now as far as chazelle's other work goes i i am a sucker for whiplash i think that movie's brilliant i loved la la land I don't know if I'd put this one quite on par. And I don't know if that's because he didn't write it or because of the way it's shot. It's difficult for me to identify why. It's a much slower and more patient film. It is. Uh, oh, and I did want to mention uh, the sound design in this movie. For the most part, when they're on the ground, pretty mediocre. But man, when they get in the freaking rocket, oh yeah. God, it rattles your seat. It was great. Like they, they really did a great job of almost in a 2001-esque way, which is something I talked about uh, before of uh making it feel like it is just chaos outside of that uh, outside of the shuttle like you can't see anything you know you're stuck in there with the astronauts so you just hear this like incredible boom of noise and what sounds like kind of music but you can't really tell like really cool sound design in this movie yeah it it reminded me a little bit of um chris nolan and dunkirk and you know how he put i'm asking IMAX cameras on those Spitfire planes and where yeah. you, you I mean you feel like you're in the air and in the cock, cockpit right uh, and a charming nod to 2001 in the a, a ballet sequence in space it was really yes. neat yeah in, in a docking sequence I was really into that uh, one other thing I wanted to mention because I know we've been talking about this way too long uh, I saw an article out of BuzzFeed about this movie that said it is triumphant but ultimately underwhelming any thoughts about that um, I this is a, a movie for the cinephile, and one of the and one of those things. <laughs> yeah, it it it's not, you know, it it's not how we think of space flight. It it's not um, you know, this huge parade, ticker tape parade, and you know, it it really grounds it. And it's like I said, it's very much a character study about Neil Armstrong as portrayed in this film. I don't know right. how he is in real life, and it's 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 deep and it's philosophical and it takes its time and it's a little slow for most people probably yeah i i worry the action highs like decompress the the dramatic lows if that makes sense it, yeah. it doesn't but like yeah I, I think it's easy to get caught up in the shuttle stuff and like you know the, the effects and like the cool cgi whatever and it's easy to brush off like the drama and the character that's in it but it's like yeah this, this is exactly what this is there's some really solid performances in this movie and i think it, it gets overshadowed by the by the special effects but that doesn't make them any less valuable uh it's it's all good i enjoyed this movie a lot um andy are you any other thoughts um no i think i'm ready for recommendations would you recommend first man uh yeah absolutely it's definitely uh one of the best movies of the year it's technically really impressive just how everything is shot how it sounds how it feels i mean you're you feel like you're in in these rickety space uh, spacecraft, as well as being a deep character study and great performances by Ryan Gosling, Claire Foy, Jason, Jason Clark, Kyle Chandler, everyone else who's in the film. Um, yeah, it's just it's another great film by Damien Chazelle. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie. It's funny I, I, when I think of my my kind of top 
top five or top ten list for the years as we go through it and I kind of craft it. I don't know if this one will be on there, but I, I can't imagine not having it. Like, the only reason I, I wouldn't put this on the, uh, on the list is if something better came along and unseated it. But the further I get away from the movie, the more I think that won't happen. You know, it's just one of those. Right. It's one of those. I don't know. I walked out of the theater and was like, yeah, it's pretty good. And then I just keep thinking about it more and I keep coming back to it. And, you know, things keep drawing me to it. So I think it's totally worth your time. Uh, is it the best date night, date night movie? Maybe Pro- not. Definitely, definitely not. The, the next film on our <laughs> list might be, actually. There's a lot of widows in them. <laughs> a lot of widows in this movie. Yeah. Um, but but it's it's a cool flick, man. Yeah. And if you if you enjoy flight, if you enjoy kind of the, the wonder of the human spirit, like it might be worth your time. Uh, so, yeah, that's. First man, I guess. The next thing we should talk about uh, before we move on to a, a, a storied segment on this show, a very, very, very brief conversation in October horror. I said uh, at the beginning of October, I want to watch as many horror movies as possible. And then the first week I watched a bunch. And this week I was like, I'm going to watch some old classics. Man, I didn't watch a single classic. Yeah, same here. Too busy. Life life, life eats it up. I, I did watch a few things. Uh, you didn't watch anything this week, right? No. I watched a handful of the Twilight Saga films, <laughs> and I think it's worth mentioning That's on the show. That's scary enough. I don't, thank you. I don't want people to think I've got anything against the Twilight films. Uh, uh, they're, they're movies just like any others. They're, they're of average runtime. They, they feature large casts. You know, they're movies. Uh, and and to, to say anything about them, one, I was intrigued by the different direction in each one because they're different directors for each movie and 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 that stands out more in retrospect too by the end of the twilight saga i'll be honest it feels like a pretty epic story it does the story <laughs> the story of of bella and edward comes together pretty well by the end of five movies and four books i was pretty pleased oh my with gosh it. so there you go that's that's the, that's as, that's as much as i have to say on the twilight saga at this time the other thing we should talk about, uh, Andy, do you want to please? It's time for the trailer park. So uh, the first trailer we need to talk about three this week, not going too heavy. Uh, a horror classic, I think. Uh, Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. Sometimes dead is better. So we didn't split this up. I'm realizing just now we <laughs> no. didn't. Okay, so I'll take this one. Okay, go uh, ahead. Are you fine with that? Yeah. So Pet Cemetery is a story that I'm not actually that familiar with. I've never seen the original. I've never read the book, and I'm trying to go in as fresh as I can. Hopefully, you are as well. So this vague coverage won't 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 seem too uh, too much. Uh, Pet Cemetery appears to be the story of a young family headed by uh, the patriarch Jason Clark, who uh, was good in First Man. And honestly, before I get too far away from it, I don't mind him. I worry people don't like him for some reason. He's in everything. I'm pretty okay with him. Yeah, he's all right. Uh, Jason Clark uh, and and friends move move uh, out of the city, I guess, out to the middle of nowhere with a bunch of woods around them where they discover that there is a local pet cemetery spelled with an S, spelled incorrectly on purpose. I don't think that's any kind of like, right. Yeah. I don't think that was Stephen King like doing some cool edgy thing. I think it was just, like intentionally redneck, like spelled wrong. Uh, and and the discovery is made that when things are buried at the pet cemetery, they come back to life. That's about all I know. I I I accidentally read the end of the Wikipedia page and spoiled <laughs> oh, it myself. No. I won't do that for the rest of you. Um, that's the pitch. It's based on a Stephen King story. This is coming hot off the heels of it. This is produced by a different studio. Andy, any thoughts on Pet Cemetery? 
So I really liked this trailer. It it really grabbed me, really uh, creeped me out, especially by the end. You know, we, we got this uh, great voiceover by uh, J- John Lithgow, who's in the movie. Um, and we got uh, kids and masks and drum beats. And it looks like there's very ritualistic things that go on in this pet cemetery. Um, yeah, it, it, it definitely got me excited for this movie it looks like it's got a good energy to it it really does you're right like the kids and the drum beats and the masks and stuff like okay i'm into all this this is neat it looks fresh uh when i think of pet cemetery i think of like the hokey 80s cover right uh, i i don't i don't think of anything particularly edgy and like this i look out I'm like okay this is neat like this looks like it could be cool uh it looks like it's got a small cast reminds me of something like it comes at night that could be cool uh yeah. and, and it looks like they're not trying to go hopefully too far after the success of it play it light right play it play it close to the chest don't try to do some big huge blockbuster this looks low budget this looks small i'm like i like this because i think that's where stephen king's best work comes out it's a small low budget stuff we all saw the dark tower we all know yeah, horrible yeah. It can be. well and you know as, as we've said before this is kind of the stephen king assance round two um, oh yeah you know because these are all remakes of things that were already made in the uh, in the 80s um he's had a lot of things come out on netflix uh, last year he had 19 1922 yeah, and yeah. uh, uh gerald's, Ger- game. gerald's game yes yes exactly uh any i mean and there's more properties in the works of course it, it chapter two will come out uh this time next year yeah so we'll re- i really be looking forward to um so i'm excited about this i think it looks great yeah i i hope it's not terrible that's where i'm at uh, next up please the mule for what it's worth I'm sorry for everything. Uh, so this is a n- new film by Clint Eastwood, who I can't believe is still directing and acting. I mean, he's in like his late 80s. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, anyways, so the from the trailer, um, Clint Eastwood plays a man who is uh, apparently moving drugs in uh, kind of a desperate uh, in desperation for for money, um, he's got this big black truck, and uh, you know he moves large amounts of, of drugs. Uh, you know, with some very nasty kind of looking people, has to flee the police. Uh, it looks like it also stars uh, Bradley Cooper and Michael Pena as the police uh, that are or kind of anti drug or DEA people after him or after you know other people trying to smuggle drugs. So it's. Uh, it looks like a thriller. It looks really intense. Um, I'm definitely. It looks like old school Eastwood to me. Yeah. Uh, first things first. Bradley Cooper coming hot off that American Sniper paycheck. Well done. Yeah. Well, coming back for more Eastwood. I love it. Man, Eastwood looks old. And like, not to say he doesn't look good. I love me some Clint Eastwood. If any 80 year old man can act, it's Clint freaking Eastwood. He looks great in this movie. But Jesus, can we also step aside for like one year? He's 89. Oh oh my God, is he really? (laughs) Yes. Can the whole Academy hang it up for one year, give this guy all the awards and beg him to stop making movies? Like I, I love his work. I love the feeling of his movies. There's nothing quite like him. An Eastwood picture isn't like any other. And he's a great actor. But, dude, he's 89. Like, I'm afraid he's going to (laughs) die. He's so old. Like, I, I, I love him to death. Um, maybe this, that's what's keeping him going. Maybe it is, man. Maybe maybe that drive to create. It looks good. It's another uh, Clint Eastwood is a man who's old now and never loved his family movie. And, and, and I guess that'll be neat. I, I, I'm still in to see it. It's got the, you know, the quaint little piano soundtrack that his movies normally have. Mm-hmm. And like, it looks cool. It looks like it's got the energy of something like Torino. It looks like it feels like something like Million Dollar Baby. 
I'm into it. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm excited for it too. You know, I, his films that circle around family or kind of family-like structures and people, I think, are always really powerful. And this, you know, fr- from the trailer, not only is he, you know, having to be a drug runner, um, but you know, he he has struggle with his daughter, with his grandchildren, with his wife. Uh, you know, that that's a big part of of why he's doing what he's doing. He's trying to right old wrongs. Yeah, and, and for what it's worth, I think it'll be worth our time. The last movie we need to talk about, Guy Ritchie's Aladdin. The diamond in the rough. Yes, you heard it right. Guy Ritchie is directing Aladdin, the guy <laughs> who did Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and and Snatch, and, and King Arthur, oddly enough. Disney is doing another live-action adaptation. Uh, this is, of course, Aladdin starring Will Smith as the genie, and that's yes. the only casting I know because they went with a very uh, culturally appropriate casting. Is that yes. not offensive to say, I guess? <laughs> um, Naomi Scott is playing Jasmine, and uh, an actor named Mina Masood Masud is playing Aladdin. I'll tell you why I'm into this uh, real quick before I get it too far. The plot, of course. Aladdin tells the story of a young street rat in Agrabah named Aladdin, who, upon discovering a, a, a magical lamp, is granted three wishes to to pursue the life uh, and hopefully the princess he he wants. There. Right. That's Aladdin, I think. I think that covers it, yeah. Uh, man, I, I love that they're doing like traditional casting because they're doing it with Mulan as well. Right. I love it. Man, the local theater I go to is, is like half traditional film american films i should say american blockbusters half like bollywood films yeah i'm excited to see those audiences mix because like yeah there's some cool bollywood flicks out there man i thought i've wondered if they're ever worth covering on this show because i'll see a little trailer or poster or something that actually looks kind of neat i don't know like i i like that intermingling i think it's important and 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 even if it's big old bad blockbuster disney doing it I think that's worth something. Well, what do you think? You had a couple thoughts about this. Um, so I think the the trailer looks great. The it it's it's really um, sorry. The music is really strong. Uh, we talked about this a little bit before the show. Is that Disney isn't even trying to do anything necessarily original because um, they are pretty much remaking the animated version in in live action. And while that's not original, they are doing a really great job of it. Like the the few scenes that you see, because you don't get to see a lot look really good it it has some of the imagery from the animated film it has some of the some of the dialogue and i mean i i was pretty hyped certainly a couple of the characters you get iago the bird yeah. who i imagine will not be voiced by gilbert godfrey <laughs> uh which is okay i guess he's kind of creep but uh for what it's worth i i, I do in a way like the nostalgia part of me like loves the way they're recreating the animated films i was stunned i think earlier this year when i saw beauty and the beast for the first time live action one I was like oh my god they look like they built this town right out of the original one right. that castle looks like it fell right out of the old one and that's great but at the same time it's got to be suffocating for a director to not be able to kick the door in and do something bold and new you know you have to you're so tied to the original format. And I wonder how strict Disney is about... Yeah, uh, you know, one of the things I notice is that uh, you get a scene in in the Cave of Wonders and that has tons of treasure. And it, I mean, it looks right out of the animated film. Sure. Which is already, like, animated and kind of absurd looking. And you get that in, in live action. And that, that's really impressive. But at the same time, 
yet, like you said, you're limited as a as an artiste. Right. Another thing I noticed, it, as far as the Cave of Wonders goes, we remember the original. At least, hopefully, you do. If you're listening to this show, it's 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 just kind of a big lion's head coming out of the sand, right? Or a, a jaguar's head, tiger. I think yeah. is what it is. Yeah. And it just kind of looks like a sand dune. This looks like it's in the side of a mountain and it's carved out. And when the mouth closes, it almost looks more like a cave in. Yeah. Than like an intentional mouth. Like it's it's it bridges that gap a little bit. But it can never get too far, and like I gotta wonder how that is, and and how that influences the film proper. And I, I guess we'll have to see and find out. Uh, looking at the other ones, it works out okay. Yeah, Beauty and the Beast made plenty of money, so I don't know what'll happen. But for what it's worth, Aladdin. Right, and we're gonna get uh, a lot of music, a lot of the original music. I would a hope a, a couple lot, of yeah. new, uh, a couple of new musical numbers as well, from what I've read before. Really, new musical numbers? Yeah, they can do a couple of new ones, I think. Yeah, that's fair, I guess. <laughs> as long as you get the originals, I'm sure it'll be fine. And I'm anxious to see uh, Will Smith as Genie. I'm gonna be honest; I don't know if he can unseat Williams on this one. I mean, you you can. Uh, you can never re- recreate, no, or you, it's, it's no. You he's gotta, gonna have to take his own his own role. Yeah. If it, you're gonna have to be Heath Ledger on this one, you gotta do your own Joker. Like you can't, it can't be the same. It won't work. I yeah. don't think. Well, yeah. and a lot of the of the original Aladdin uh, was improvised. Mm-hmm. It was he was improvised, and then they anim- they did the animation <laughs> to match it. Right. They you just know. good God, chasing Robin Williams around the studio with a microphone, trying to keep up with this guy. <sighs> Our last movie we should talk about. Anything else you wanted to cover? No, I'm ready. Sorry, to go. I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, well, please. You're Bad times at the El Royale. I've done horrible things. So everybody. Shit happens. Get the whiskey. So this is the new film by Drew Goddard, who did um, 2012's Cabin in the Woods. He also wrote The Martian? No. The, the Martian was based on a book. Did he direct The Martian? I don't know. I'm going to look it up. I, you go <laughs> ahead. I'm not going to cut you off. It's, it's fine. Um, so Bad times at the El Royale. Um, takes place uh, in around the 70s, 60s, 70s at the El Royale, which is 60s, I think. which is a bi-state uh, establishment. It's a hotel that is straddles the border between California and Nevada. And at the beginning of the film, we meet four or five uh, different people. We we have uh, John Hamm's character, who's a vacuum cleaner salesman. We have uh, Dakota Johnson, who's a femme fatale. Um, Jeff Bridges plays a priest and... Oh, I'm for, forgetting his name. There's a, there's a handful of others. We've got... Yes. Uh, uh, sorry. Last one. Uh, Cynthia Ervio, who plays Darlene Sweet, who's a singer. Yes. And so we get this colorful cast, and what we soon learn is that everyone at the Air Royale is not who they appear to be. They all kind of have secrets. They all have kind of a, a second side. And we discovered that the El Royale itself is also not exactly what it appears to be also. Um, so that's the kind of the premise of the film, and we get a little bit of that ensemble cast, a little bit of that. It reminds me a lot of The Hateful Eight, um, where we get a lot of strangers in one place, and we see what's going to go down. So, uh, yeah. so Zach, what do you, what'd you think? Oh, man. Okay. Well, first things first, we should talk about the history of this movie, because we talked about a little bit on the show, but for anybody tuning in for the first time, uh, the first time I saw a trailer for this movie, I, I kind of rolled my eyes. Like, okay, this looks like some original whatever from the guy who did cabin in the woods it was a neat movie but like it's fine and then i saw the trailer again and thought okay well there's that one shot in there that looks kind of cool and then i saw it again and thought well john ham looks kind of neat in it and before i knew it suddenly i'm to the point where every time i saw a trailer for this movie i was like this is gonna be cool like i don't know how it happened but over time i was yeah, like this movie looks you. neat yeah the music like the feeling of it the look of it like the, the casting man so so leading into this movie i, I tried to go in I, I didn't re-watch the trailer i just tried to go off what i knew from a few weeks ago 
uh, I, I didn't I didn't want to spoil it for myself. I wanted to go in fresh. Didn't look up a plot or anything. I wanted to go in completely original. See what I could find out. I I I did not check my watch once in a two and a half hour film, which is this movie. It is phenomenally intriguing to watch. I I, I was tuned in the whole time. I never felt like okay, when's this wrapping up? When's this going to be over? I I was consistently. Uh, a fan of of the plot, the roller coaster, the the bumps along the way, the characters, the way they interact with each other, the way they run into each other. Um, I I really enjoyed it. What did you think? Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. And it's funny because we had different kind of opinions at the beginning because the opening scene I didn't really like. I thought it was a little slow, and I it, I wasn't real sure where it was going. But yeah. but then it definitely grew on me. And you kind of had the opposite reaction. Yeah, in a similar, if you watch the trailer, you'll see this because the, the trailer kind of does the same thing. It starts off charming, and then it gets kind of dark, and it says, "Okay, each one of these strangers has a secret," which is kind of the pitch. You get a little bit of a like a Ten Little Indians kind of vibe, or really Hateful Eight. I know that's the easy comparison. There's eight people in the Hateful Eight locked in one place. There's seven people here, basically locked in one place. But uh, man, it, it once you get through that kind of first act and it starts to take the turn and you start to figure out, okay, here's what's going on. Here's what these people are about. Here's the motivation for this character. It gets real interesting. The bummer was, man, that first act and the turnover to act two felt so strong to me. And when it finally started, like the roller coaster finally starts to go down the hill, that's where I kind of got, I didn't get bored, but like I was almost disappointed. Like I was so into where it was going because it had, I had that anticipation of the unknown. It could go anywhere. And then when it finally starts to pick a direction, that's where I felt like things started to weaken. But you didn't feel that way. No, so... Um, I re- I guess I really dug the the characters. A lot of times in, in a movie with this many people, you run the risk of not everyone getting enough screen time or some people kind of being left out. And this yeah. film actually takes a lot of time with every single character. You learn a lot of backstory about everyone, and it gets really actually pretty intimate. Um, Jeff Bridges ha- has a great conversation uh, with Cynthia Ir- Irvo's character, uh, Darlene Sweet, who's a... Uh, who's a aspiring singer mm-hmm. and they're, they're sitting talking and they're, they're just kind of, uh, they're trying to find uh, the doorman who's no, nowhere to be found ever. Um, and, and it's revealed that, that Jeff Bridges uh, is starting, beginning to suffer memory loss, the early signs of, of dementia. And, you know, you, you get this real kind of like intimate portrait of him and this, this weakness, because, you know, as we know from the trailer, he says, you know, I'm not really a priest. Um, and you know he kind of ha- has a, a dark backstory, but you you get these real kind of vulnerable moments uh, between a lot of the characters, and I think it helps really carry the movie. Yeah, man, we should talk about kind of the casting real quick. Um, phenomenal, uh, in in that you had the the mainstays, the people you know, the people you really enjoyed: Jeff Bridges, John Hamm, Chris Hemsworth, Dakota Johnson, all great. And then you had some new ones: uh, Cynthia Erivo. Uh, uh, Kaylee Spaney. I've seen yeah. her name. Yeah, she was in a uh, Pacific Rim Uprising. That's right. Yeah, Lewis Pullman, who was uh, who was pro- who's like the yeah. standout. He let was- let me be clear. Lewis Pullman, who is Bill Pullman's son. Oh, okay. Didn't know that. Outstanding performance. He was originally supposed to, his 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 role. Uh, Miles Miller was supposed to go to Tom Holland, who got caught up in Spider Man, so didn't do it. He looks a little bit like Tom. Holland. Looks a little bit like Tom Holland. Yeah, I, I had heard from people who went and saw this and said they thought he was Tom Holland up till the end. Um, arguably the be- well, I wouldn't say the best performance, but the most breakout performance of the whole film. Yeah, def- definitely. So he plays the uh, kind of uh, attendant uh, at the hotel, which seems to have only one 
person working and uh, he seems to get instruction from quote unquote management, which right. is always kind of over the phone. They're never there. He's the only one you see. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, he's a very timid kind of shy introverted yeah, skittish yeah. person. And, but like all things at, at the El Royale, he's not everything he, he appears to be either. Right. And it's, it, I mean, like everybody in this movie, that's kind of the case, but man, he, uh, I, I do also want to mention, uh, uh, I mean, they were all good, but the, my favorites, of course, uh, Jeff Bridges, love him to death. Uh, not so much in his presentation as just his character, but the the memory bits; those were really yeah. good because you get you get Jeff Bridges has those eyes; you can get that emotion across. Like when he when he couldn't when he can't remember something, like it really feels like he's struggling and it hurts him because he knows he can't remember, and like that's. That hurts. Uh, John Hamm, my favorite performance of the movie. <laughs> He's so good, dude. The man is just so charming, uh, and, and and I love him. Uh, he was great. The casting is fantastic, and, and everybody in it is great. Let's talk about the setting, the El Royale. You're right. The Bi-State Hotel. Incredibly charming. Almost felt like something out of, out of a Wes Anderson film at times. Like, the, yeah. the look of it, it's so iconic. And, like, it's split in a way where, like, the Nevada side's a lot of blue, and the California side's a lot of red, and like it—it's just engaging visually. Right, and it's one of those places that um, you know it—it—it it, it used to be something. You know, it's got these great pictures of like, oh, the Rat Pack used to be here, and all these celebrities, and yeah. now they lost their gambling license, and so now it—it's no one, no one comes around. So it's got this, this look of uh, an incredible place that used to be. Right, it, from from five or ten years ago yeah, yeah. Like it used to be huge and now it's just going down into ruin um loved the look of it. it it was an easy layout it's easy to get in your head they explain it very early when in a very charming uh tour scene with lewis pullman of course who is the hotel kind of manager on duty i guess very very charming explanation they explain here's the layout of the hotel here's where everybody's rooms are go like they they give it to you very very upfront very straightforward which is good because when you have a small cast in a small setting like it's good for you to know all the details or at least most of the details right so that's the other thing we should talk about is the uh it, it has a little bit of the non-linear timeline mm-hmm. asynchronous you know you you'll see the same event kind of happen from multiple perspectives a little bit of that uh, that pulp fiction yeah they juxtapose scenes together in mm-hmm. in, in like a puzzle piece kind of way right and, yeah. it, and it's kind of told in chapters where you have like room four its story right room five its story and uh-huh. so that uh that really worked for me i and and it wasn't too much in the vein of pulp fiction for it to be ripping it off but it was definitely that that asynchronous um storytelling yeah i, I did want to ask how you felt about uh the runtime two hours 21 minutes it was a little long yeah i i felt like it was it worked. It did feel a little long, I guess, towards the end. At some point, you're kind of sitting in your seat, you know, squirming, like, okay, when's this going to be over? But, but like I said, I like that they were able to explore every character really pretty deeply. And it's like they could have cut time, but to do that, they would have had to cut a number of backstories or how in-depth they went on a number of backstories. Right. Something else I wanted to talk about was the soundtrack. I yeah. wanted to look up some of the songs. And right. I, I didn't, uh, I, but I remember a couple of them off the top of my head. Um, really good, really good retro soundtrack. They put a lot of money into the music in this movie. They got a jukebox that plays in kind of the main lobby at the El Royale and like a lot of good hits on there. A lot of good stuff. The Supremes, Jimi Hendrix, I think is on there. Um, Frankie Valli in the Four Seasons, I know comes up at one point. Like I said, I can't remember all of them, but 
I, I I dig some oldies tunes, and there's some pretty good stuff in there. What do you think? Yeah, the, the the soundtrack is definitely part of part of the um, charm, mm-hmm. uh, especially because the jukebox uh, at the El Royale plays into the film a lot. Like it, it's an important it's an important character, right? Uh, if you will. Oddly enough, um, the last thing I wanted to mention, we talked a lot about like the duplicitous nature of, of the hotel and the and the characters, and and th- that's just an overall kind of arching theme. It you know it's about who we are to the public versus who we are. Um, to ourselves or in our own private life. And that, that theme is, it's seen through all the characters in the hotel itself and uh, in, th- in a number of, of different ways. Yeah. I did want to mention um, the R rating because it's an original film. Having an R rating on an original film like this is, is daring. It is a mystery thriller. Do you feel like this movie earned the rating? Could they have toned it down? Would it have worked if it was PG-13? Um, I, 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 I would say no because the... When the violence comes, um, it's really pretty shocking. Right. The stakes are higher because you don't know what exactly is going to happen. You just know it's going to be ugly. Especially because uh, when the first kind of burst happens, there hasn't been anything violent un- until then. Mm-hmm. So it, it's definitely it, it's very jarring in that way. Movies definitely good at setting up things that are jarring. And not that are necessarily jump scares, but th- there were a couple times people in our theater audibly jumped yeah there there was one point at which some guy behind us was like oh my god like it was great uh and i and i love that it's got a good energy to it and like man it's just it's just a fun flick i just had fun watching it i enjoyed it so yeah well sorry last thing i would say is um yeah, I, I expected it to be, I, I guess, more cartoonish and more uh, maybe like fr- like Free Fire where it's, you know, tons of action the whole time and uh, maybe a little bit of tongue-in-cheek. But it, it really is, uh, it, it's almost like a, a character play. Yeah, and, and honestly, it would probably translate pretty well to theater if you were going to try to make a play out of it. Like, I yeah. bet you could do it in a pretty charming way. Bad Times at the El Royale. Andy, would you recommend it? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I thought it was a lot of fun. Great characters, great cast, great performances, um, fun story, and I'm, it's a little long, but that's the the only thing that kind of bothered me. I loved this movie. I, I might have enjoyed it more than First Man, honestly. Uh, I, I I had a ton of fun with it. I loved the imagery. I loved the feeling of it. There's nothing quite like it out right now. Great date movie, and if you don't get a chance to go see it in theaters, I, I would say when it comes to Netflix or wherever it goes, it is a day one watch if you haven't seen it. It is totally worth your time, if not the price of admission. That's Bad Times Dale Royale. That's so, right. Yeah. And with that, we're wrapped for the week, I think. Surprise, we were going to do Halloween and uh, mid-90s next week. We're actually going to take the week off, take some personal time. I'm going to watch some freaking horror movies. I yeah, swear to God. this is the time for it, yeah. Yeah, there's no better time because we are slammed. The week after, we've got what? Uh, Suspiria out of Amazon Originals. And we've got, what's the other one? Beautiful, Beautiful Boy. Boy. Or we'll go catch Halloween or Midnight. I don't know yet. Yeah, we'll have to see the release dates on this because I can never. I know. They're never dependable. I know. It's, it's all over the place, but we'll figure it out. Uh, if you want to say something about our reviews, if you enjoyed Bad Times the El Royale, if you didn't like First Man or vice versa, if you liked our trailer talk or have some October recommendations, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Shoot us a message on Facebook at offscriptfilmreview. Hit us up on Instagram at offscriptreview. Hit us up on Twitter at offscriptfilm. My God, we are all right. Already, we got to get some brand synergy in here, Andy. That's right. What are we doing? <laughs> uh, and check out our website at offscript. 
Offscriptfilmreview.com. I'm all over the place. Uh, from all of us at Offscript, thanks for listening. The home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.